Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Chris Cast. This week, I will be reviewing the Wonder Woman 84 trailer as well as the first three parts of Crisis on Infinite Earths. We'll have some sad news about those we've lost this week. And teen activist Greta Thunberg makes the news again. Stay tuned. Let's start off with some great news this week. This comes from UPI.com. Teen climate activist Greta Thunberg is Time's Person of the Year. Time magazine announced its 2019 Person of the Year Wednesday, Sweden's teenage climate change activist Greta Thunberg. Time said Greta, quote, has offered a moral clarion call to those who are willing to act and hurled shame on those who are not, and persuaded world leaders to, quote, make commitments where they had previously fumbled. For example, the magazine cited the passage of a British environmental law in June after the 16-year-old girl spoke to members of Parliament in London and participated with the Extinction Rebellion protests. Because of her, hundreds of thousands of teenage, quote, Gretas from Lebanon to Liberia have skipped school to lead their peers in climate strikes around the world, Time wrote. The magazine said her efforts, which included sailing across the Atlantic Ocean to this week's COP25 climate conference in Spain, and crossing the ocean in a similar manner in August to get to the UN General Assembly, have focused great attention on the issue of climate change, especially among the world's young people. And just think, she has done this at the age of 16. I can't imagine being this passionate about anything when I was 16 years old, she has spoken to the UN and other world leaders apart from the UN. Definitely deserving of Person of the Year. And speaking of climate change, this comes from bbc.co.uk. Climate change, levels of oxygen in the ocean are falling. According to new research, climate change is driving oxygen from our oceans, which is having a negative impact on these species. 700 ocean sites are now believed to be suffering from low oxygen compared with around 45 sites in the 1960s. The researchers also warned that areas of water which contain no oxygen at all have quadrupled over the same period. The findings were presented at the COP25 conference in Madrid. Why are oxygen levels falling? Our oceans absorb roughly a quarter of all fossil fuel emissions, but there are fears that the world's seas will eventually reach a limit. When looking at current trends, oceans are expected to lose 3-4% to of their oxygen globally by 2100. This is worse than the world's tropical regions, and the most of the oxygen loss is thought to take place in the top 1,000 meters of the sea, which contains the highest levels of biodiversity. If we run out of oxygen, it will mean habitat loss and biodiversity loss and a slippery slope down to slime and more jellyfish, said Minna Epps from the group IUCN who carried out the study. So again, we need to watch what we're doing. We're not just affecting the land, we are also affecting the oceans and the seas. Please reduce, reuse, and recycle. Try to stop our carbon impact. We've got to make sure that all life is saved. Now, speaking of saving lives, a great news story this week. This comes from the animalrescuesite.greatergood.com.
a Minneapolis shelter announces that they've been adopted out for the holidays. Minneapolis Animal and Care Animal Care and Control was thrilled to be able to tape a sign to their door last weekend that said all animals in the shelter had been adopted out. The City of Minneapolis Twitter account posted an image of the sign written in all caps, and it said, All adoptable animals have been adopted. Don't you wish every rescue across the nation could post that sign? Homes for every adoptable pet? It would be amazing. And always, always consider your shelters for your pets because they have such great animals that just desperately want to be loved. If it is at a shelter, find the love of your life. Moving on, let's talk about some entertainment news today. This comes from comicbook.com. Code 8, which is opening this Friday in theaters as well as on demand, has now announced that they will have a spin-off in a TV series. The article reads, Code 8, the feature film from Arrow star Stephen Amell and his cousin, the Flash alum Robbie Amell, is just days from hitting theaters and on demand, but fans of the independent sci-fi thriller already have more to look forward to. A spin-off series is in development at Quibi, a mobile-first media technology platform, with the Amells set to return to star. According to Deadline, the film's director, Jeff Chan, will direct as well as write the series with Chris Pear, who also penned the film. The announcement of the Quibi series is just the latest development for Code 8, which first began as a short film in 2016. That film quickly gained popularity and led to a crowdfunding campaign to help create the full-length feature, a process that Robbie, Robbie Amell spoke, in, spoke a bit about in a recent conversation with ComicBook.com. It says... And luckily, the short kind of caught fire, Amel said. Front page Reddit, which was huge for us. And the Indiegogo campaign was just a smashing success, which was so incredible and has been so fantastic to get to share a movie that means so much to me with so many people. You know, we've had 28,000 backers or something. I can't remember the exact number. And we've had a global premiere tour, sharing it with people across Canada and the U.S. and London and Australia. I definitely look forward to this. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned that I love Arrow, that it is my favorite show currently running, even though it's so close to the end now. But Stephen Amell has been a driving force for that. His social media presence has been just so entertaining. And the short was definitely something that piqued my interest, and I will definitely be checking out the movie. It comes out today as I post this this podcast. Hopefully you'll get the chance to see Code 8. Now a heartwarming story. This comes from BBC.com. Buyer returns grease jacket to Olivia Newton-John after auction. The leather jacket Olivia Newton-John wore in Greece has been given back to the actor by the man who bought it from her at auction for $243,200. The Australian sold the black jacket and other possessions in November with part of the proceeds going to her cancer research center. But the anonymous buyer has now handed it back to a, quote, grateful Olivia Newton-John. He said, it should not sit in a billionaire's closet for country club bragging rights. 
The buyer was seen with his face blurred out in a video as he surprised the actor with the jacket. He said, The odds of beating a recurring cancer using the newest emerging therapies is a, thousand is a thousandfold greater than someone appearing out of the blue, buying your most famous and cherished icon, and returning it to you. A tearful Newton John, who's 71, who was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1992, hugged him and said, that is the most incredibly generous thing to do for me. I'm so grateful, and I'm just blown away. She wore the jacket in the final scene of the 1978 film when she and John Travolta performed You're the One That I Want and We Go Together. Olivia is a long-time, just one of my all-time favorites. I can't remember not liking her. Grease was a part of that. My love for her started from the film Grease. And just the fact that this guy bought the jacket to give back to her, it says a lot for him. He's not letting himself be known. He's doing it strictly for Olivia, which is very, very special to me. It says a lot about him. And the fact that he actually does care about Olivia Newton-John and wants to get what she has back to her. I hope that she can get through this latest. It, the article does say Olivia Newton-John has recently been having treatment for stage 4 breast cancer. She set up the Olivia Newton-John Cancer Wellness and Research Center near Melbourne in 2012. The fact that she's suffering and still giving also says volumes about her character. So, Olivia, we wish you all the best. And I'm so glad that somebody was able to buy your jacket and give it back to you and help support your cancer charity. Can't say enough for that. And a final piece of entertainment news this week. This comes from comicbook.com. The Griswold spin-off from National Lampoon's Vacation Movies in the works for HBO Max. HBO Max continues to make some big moves in setting up for its launch in 2020, and it's going to bring back a classic family comedy franchise for a whole new era. National Lampoon's Vacation is a bona fide classic, and we got a reboot of the franchise in 2015. Now, HBO Max is planning a vacation TV spin-off called The Griswolds, which, quote, brings the iconic family home from vacation and explores their daily lives in the suburbs of modern-day Chicago. The series is planned as a half-hour single-camera comedy, which will stream on HBO Max. The series is being developed by The Middle writer Tim Hobart and Big Bang Theory star Johnny Galecki. Of course, if you've watched Christmas Vacation, you know Johnny Galecki played Rusty in that. I do not know if this will be workable as a TV series. The films are great. Hopefully the TV series will hold up. The remake, or reboot, whatever you want to call it, with Christina Applegate playing the wife of Rusty as they have their own family, I found very amusing. I enjoyed the movie a lot. I thought it had the same charm of the originals. I don't know what the plans are for this series, if it will be Rusty and his family, if it will be Clark and the, the kids back with new actors portraying the characters, 
there's not been a lot announced on it. I wish them the best. Like I say, I just don't know how well it's going to pan out. Finally this week, we have had an influx of lost celebrities. We've lost René Auberginois. Of course, most people know him from Benson. Also, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He was in the MASH film, Boston Legal, the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson. Personally, I remember him from the Spaced Out episode of Wonder Woman. He played the burglar in it. It's... I mean, he lived a full, good life. He was 79 when he passed. But still, it's hard to read. Another one that was very hard to read was Philip McKeon. Of course, his sister Nancy McKeon was my favorite character on The Facts of Life, Joe Polnicek. Philip played Tommy, Alice's son, on the TV show Alice. He was in episodes of The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Amazing Stories. His last reported on-screen appearance was in Ghoulies 4, which went straight to video. He was in Sandman, 976 Evil 2, Red Surf. He was in a three-part episode of Favorite Son, Return to Horror High. All they have announced is that it was after a long illness that he passed at the age of 55. Passed on November, or he was born on November 11th, 1964. Passed on December 10th, so not even a month into his 55th year. And finally, the other one that hit me really hard this week, Roxette singer Marie Fredrickson who crooned it must have been love, dead at 61. This is from USA Today. Roxette singer Marie Fredrickson has died at 61, according to an official statement from her management's website. The statement says the Swedish star died Monday after a 17-year battle with cancer. Following a solo career, Fredrickson teamed up with Per Gaisle in 1986 to form the pop duo Roxette, which launched them into the international spotlight. The pair is best known for the songs It Must Have Been Love, Listen to Your Heart, and The Look. They also did Joyride, which I loved, and of course the lyrics, Hello, you fool, I love you, come on, join the joyride. It always got a great start with me, and I love the song. I loved Roxette, and it's very sad to lose her. It's, again, 61 is a good life but it's still too young to be gone. Well, moving on, I will be back with my reviews of the Wonder Woman 84 trailer and Crisis on Infinite Earths. Stay tuned. Welcome back. First up, let's review the Wonder Woman 84 trailer. It starts out with Diana talking, narrating what's happened, and then it goes into her talking to Barbara Minerva, who we know will later become the Cheetah. It shows picture of Steve Trevor. 
the big words 1984 and neon style come onto the screen. Then it skips to a mall where we see all kinds of great action. The mall scene includes her using the tiara as a boomerang, which we have not seen in live action since Linda Carter. Um, it has it introduces Maxwell Lord during the mall scene. Of course, Maxwell Lord in the comics controlled Superman. She put her lasso around Maxwell Lord, asking him how she can make him stop controlling Superman. He told her the only way would be to kill her, or to kill him. And of course, she snaps his neck. Don't know if we'll get to that in this film. We do see Steve Trevor come back. I honestly believe that it is due to magic that Steve Trevor comes back could be wrong, but Maxwell Lord does have powers of magic that he uses, which is how he was able to control Superman in the comics. So maybe he's gone back, plucked Steve out of the plane before it exploded to bring him to 1984. Don't know yet. I will say that as I'm, I'm sitting here playing the trailer as I'm reviewing it, if you watch the trailer, when it's showing the street in D.C., this is at 1 minute and 15 seconds I have it paused. If you look in the lower left corner, you will see what appears to be either a cop car or a cab. It, I'm guessing it's a cop car because it is a baby blue on it. But beside of that car is a woman with long black hair, a blue skirt, and red boots running alongside. I'm not sure if it's someone dressed up as Wonder Woman cosplay in the film, or if it is Wonder Woman, or if it's something else entirely. But like I said, it's a, about a minute and 15 seconds into the trailer, you can see her down in the corner running. It then just skips back to Diana and Steve and then Maxwell Lord and then shot interior where she's got gunmen and a great scene of where she ejects the bullet and then knocks the bullet aside with her bracelet which goes to the theory of the comics where only a woman has the grace to be able to take the bullet and deflect it safely away to where no one will get harmed. So that could be what they're going for in that shot. And of course, there's the scene where the fireworks are shooting and then it goes into the two of them in the cockpit of the jet. I don't see, I've paused and tried to look the image is kind of grainy, so it could be there, and I'm just not seeing it. I've tried to see the invisible jet in the fireworks, because obviously they are in the fireworks when they show them in the cockpit. I couldn't see anything there, but I do believe they're trying to tease the invisible jet in that scene, which is something else that we really need to see again 
in live action. Also, there's a scene where she's running down the street and she lassos the air and goes off. What else could she be lassoing besides the invisible jet? Lots of action sequences shown. Her flipping a truck, battling soldiers. There's a shot of a wall, which I don't know if it's supposed to be. Looks like it could be mimicking the Great Wall of China. It could be the Berlin Wall. Not really sure what wall it is. Um, of course, you see her lassoing the lightning. You see her in the golden armor that's eagle-shaped. And, of course, it ends with the wonderful little bit of humor where she's showing Steve art and he starts looking at what he thinks might be art. And, of course, it's a trash can. That scene is important for a couple reasons. One, Wonder Woman should be a light, positive film. The character is kind of like Superman. She is about peace and love and hope. And the fact that they've got the humor in there says they are going for a lighter tone in the film. Second, if this is Steve from the past and she's trying to teach him about modern art in 1984, of course he won't know what that trash can is because he won't be used to it. So it also feeds the notion that this is the real Steve Trevor, but the real Steve Trevor from World War One. Definitely looking forward to this film. Cannot wait to see it. The trailer looks amazing. If you haven't yet checked it out, check out that teaser. Of course, we got the Black Widow trailer. We got Ghostbusters... Um, the new Ghostbusters film, and the name's escaping me right offhand, and I really am a fan of Ghostbusters. I really want to see that film, but the Ghostbusters trailer pales in comparison to Wonder Woman 84, and I really do want to see Ghostbusters, so check it out. See what you think. Let me know. Of course, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore H71. Next up, my review of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Okay, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Where can I start? I'm going to keep this as spoiler-free as possible because I know there are people who have yet to see it that will want to watch it. But man, what an undertaking. This is something I really think is best suited for television. However, playing devil's advocate here, I think probably HBO Max would have been a better fit to do Crisis on, but the CW has the Arrowverse already established with so many characters already on the shows, and the multiverse has already long been established. So, yeah, the CW, why not? Granted, it was supposed to be later before this happened. The original date of the crisis was 2024 on The Flash. Well, that got changed. And, of course, storyline was different. Reality, Stephen Amell wanted to 
leave the show arrow, and they had to speed things up. The cameo appearances are great. There is cameo music appearances. You get classic themes that you didn't expect. Of course, some of the cameos we already knew. Some were a surprise. And I'm not going to tell you the surprise ones. I'll let you watch the shows and see them for yourselves. But Burt Ward, he was in a sweater of the Robin Collars, walking a dog. And I'm not sure if it was supposed to be Ace the Bat Hound, but it was a German Shepherd. And of course, his line that he delivered was perfect for Burt Ward. And granted, there were a lot of cameos that came and went. Tom Willing had a pretty good size role for a cameo role. Brandon Routh as Kingdom Come Superman, phenomenal. He definitely had the part of Superman down pat. And I've discussed this on the DC Universe in the watch-alongs with the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Crisis on Infinite Earths is going to be virtually impossible to top for a crossover. It's just not going to be able to be done. So, they might want to look at doing a special series in place of a crossover. Granted, I don't think that would ever happen because they'll... If they do anything, it will be a crossover with the stars they already have. But one of the potentials came up was a Kingdom Come miniseries instead of the crossover. Again, let me know on Twitter what you think. If you think that would be something that the CW should do or if they should leave it alone. But the crisis has hit. Of course, the previous episodes of The Flash and Arrow and Supergirl all had the end with the crisis actually starting. No world was safe. We did get a wonderful performance by John Wesley Shipp, the 1990 Flash. So if you needed closure from that series, this gave that to you. And gave you more than you expected. I, I gotta admit, there's things they could have done better. But when you're trying to translate one of the biggest stories in DC Comics history on a television budget, when you're talking about the bottom network of the major networks that are free over the air... You've got NBC, CBS, Fox, and ABC that are powerhouses. Then you have the CW that's in league, but not real major competition for any of them. So they don't have the finances that ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox have. But to have pulled this off and make it look so good, that was another big plus for it. 
rating on a scale of 1 to 10, I would give this event a 9. It is fun. It is exciting. It is action-packed. And, of course, you had Part 1 Sunday night, followed by the after show with Kevin Smith. You had Part 2 on Monday night, which was an episode of, I believe, Batwoman on Monday. Supergirl was Part 1 on Sunday. After Part 2, you had a Black Lightning episode, which completely tied into the crisis. And hopefully, when they release the Blu-ray seasons of The Flash and Arrow and Supergirl, when they include all the episodes of Crisis on Infinite Earths, I really hope they decide to include the Black Lightning episode on all sets with the Crisis because it had such a major impact in it. Maybe even the Flash and Arrow episodes preceding the Crisis as an introduction to it. Because this event is not just a five-episode crossover. It's been going on all season on The Flash, all season on Arrow, and will probably continue after the event is done. And of course, on Tuesday night, we had part three, which was The Flash, and another after show hosted by Kevin Smith. It's all available for free on the CW app with ads. You can see every one of these episodes, plus behind-the-scenes footage, plus the after-shows. If you're a casual comics reader, if you love The Crisis on Infinite Earths, I really think you'll enjoy this one. It is definitely the best crossover yet, and their crossovers have been very good in the past. It's easily the television event of this decade. Right now, I would consider it the television event of this century. It is that big of a scale, and it's done on the CW. Hopefully, this will be the event that actually helps get the CW some numbers, pulls in more ratings, and pulls in more revenue. We'll see. Well, that is my show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any comments, if you think Crisis is not living up to the expectations, if you think it's far exceeding the expectations, again, reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is Chris underscore H71. That's C-H-R-I-S, the little underline, H, the number seven, and the number one. Until next week, everybody, have a great one. I'll talk to you then.